tonight, I want to ask you if you could to take your Bibles and turn with me to the 16th chapter of John. This this has been a special day. I, I will share this with you that every time (laughs) we get ready to uh, teach or preach or talk about the Holy Spirit, and by the way, you know that the Holy Spirit will lift up who? The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He he is that one of the Trinity who glorifies the Lord Jesus. but it's, uh, you, I prayed this afternoon, uh, Father, uh, work uh, in a special way tonight because I, I need it. I need it as much as anyone else. And uh, so this morning I used the illustration about Randy and Judy Fox, the couple uh, that I talked about. And uh, uh, two weeks ago I was at First Baptist Church, Batesburg. Um, to do a funeral for Jim Rotan, and Randy and Judy were not there. Their, their, the oldest daughter was married in Charleston over that weekend, and I missed them. So about 5 o'clock this afternoon, I get an 803 call from Columbia, and, and that's Batesburg, and, and uh, I didn't recognize the number. So on the way to church tonight, I, I, I picked up the phone, and I have not talked to them in probably a year and this voice came over, hey, brother, and it was Randy Fox. <laughs> I said, did you watch the service this morning from Forest Heights Baptist Church? He said, where? <laughs> and he said, I just wanted to call you this afternoon. I know you did. And, you know, God just, it's, and as Vance Havner used to say, you can call that coincidence and be miserable. But God works in so, so many ways. I want to tonight to share with you uh, a a doctrinal message, uh, I would say a teaching message, but also to begin with a word of testimony in just a moment. But I want to begin by um, beginning in John 16, verse 5. John 16, verse 5. So the Lord Jesus himself is talking about whenever he is going to leave. I don't need this. I, I know what it... And he begins to tell them a truth. They didn't understand it at the time, but he was telling them that there would come a point where he would physically leave. That he, the person of the Lord Jesus, would physically leave. Now, when we talk about that, we're talking about the human ministry or the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. That was the time when God, limited God, in the person of Jesus, to time and space. An infinite God who is not limited by time and space for 33 years in the person of God put himself in a limited work. Karl Barth said it was the the limitation of the divine. 
but then he would be resurrected and the person of Jesus would go back to that place where there would be no limitation of time and space to set in orchestration the things that we believe uh, will happen and what uh, could possibly happen. The, the one regret in this short time, and I know, I know your previous pastor who was a great Bible teacher, and I'm sure he has covered all of this. I know Brother Rip the same way, but according to Luke 24, we could be in the end times. I don't believe it's right in the end times. I don't have time to walk through that, but because I believe Jesus said every tribe will hear. We're close. We're about 85% there. Uh, but that, that has to occur before I believe the things set into place, that the events that will happen, which are in the constitution of your church, um, the, the events of the second coming. But going back, Jesus was telling his disciples that I will leave and go back to heaven, but when I physically leave, someone else physically is coming to you who is of me. And we call it we, we use the term Holy Spirit. Now I want, I want you to just follow through with me beginning in verse 5, the words of Jesus. But now I go away to him who sent me. Uh, this is the Lord Jesus talking about the Father and uh, the Son. He's talking about the Trinity. Now I'm going to stop just a moment and not going to teach the doctrine of the Trinity tonight, but it's not three separate gods, it's one God in three separate persons. Well, how do you understand that? Well, there's a lot of it we can understand, but I don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and give me white milk. <laughs> but I love milk. <laughs> so God is the three in one. Now, Look at the rest of it. He says, but now I go away to him who sent me. <clears throat> None of you ask me where my going, but because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. He said, you're sad because I've told you I'm going away. What's he referring to? He's referring to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, when Jesus told him I'm going to go away. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. He's saying, it's going to be better for you for me to leave. Because um, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now, Brother Rip knows this, I believe Lindsay knows this, probably... Others, Brother Tim knows this. A lot of you studied this and know this. The word helper translated in the English is the word parakletos. The word kletos in the Greek means the verb to help. The word para is a, um, it's a preposition <laughs> that means to come alongside. So you combine the two, 
the help, actually if you literally it means to come alongside helper. But he's saying, I'm going to send you a helper who will come alongside of you. And, uh, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Now I want you to, <laughs> I, I want you to note that he uses him, the, the pronoun him, as a person. I love what uh, J. Edwin Orr said. He said, we never talk about the Holy Spirit as an it. It's a person. And it's like a baby. You don't call baby Mortimer an it. You call him a him. The person of the Holy Spirit, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment and of sin because they do not believe me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And, and by the way, he spoke that. Uh, it is Aaron's tense. He spoke in our which means it is done in the path with a continuous action. Verse 12, And I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He's saying, Through human words, through my earthly teaching, you cannot absorb all of this. Now look at what he says in verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of the things to come. Let me read that verse one more time, because I walked through it kind of slow and got lost in it. Follow me through. How many of you in here, New King James Version? Uh, New King James. Okay, how many? NIV? Okay. All right, NIV. Got NIV. Any CSBs in here? CSB. CH Holman be praying for you <laughs> no, no. They, they make me write from the csb i have to do commissions anyway okay so let's read it again however when the spirit of truth when he talks about spirit he he's talking about the one who is of truth that brings truth has come into the world he will speak on his own authority The Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity and speaks with the authority of the Lord Jesus and the Father. For he will not speak on his own authority, but when he hears, he will speak. Now, he's saying that even though he has guided into truth. Let me back up. I'm sorry. I apologize to you. I sure do not want to mishandle the Word of God, and I am tonight. He will guide you. Let's go back at the 13. He will guide you into truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So he is saying to him that the Trinity is 
in cooperation and will not contradict itself. So in other words, the Holy Spirit will not contradict the Father. The Holy Spirit will not contradict the Lord Jesus. Folks, the Holy Spirit, if I, I believe this is the canon of Scripture. I, I believe this is God's Word, and I believe it was given to us by the Lord. So the Holy Spirit, as He ministers, will not contradict His Word. That's important, very important today, particularly when people are saying God told them to do something that's contrary to God's word. And he will, verse 14, he will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has is mine, therefore I say he will take of mine and declare it to you. Now, when the Lord came to us and told us about the Holy Spirit, he said that he was the comforter. And the comforter was the one who came and brought comfort to us and, and walked beside us after uh, the, the Lord Jesus left. He is the one who is present with us. Now, what does the Bible tell us? Number one, he is a person. Uh, Jesus said, I tell you it is good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the parakletos will not come. He is a person. He has a mind, the Holy Spirit. Uh, he has intelligence. Uh, he has emotions. The Holy Spirit, uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, he hates sin. The Holy Spirit has a will. In John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, When He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, and He will not speak truth on His own. So He follows the Lord Jesus in that. Now, I'm going to skip down to some things. So the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that I receive at the moment that I'm saved. Jesus had the conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 unless you are born again and born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So the Holy Spirit is the one who quickens sin. Now the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. We're told in verses 10, He convicts of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit is the one who points us and lets us know that there's sin in our lives for the believer and for the unbeliever. In Acts 2.37, when Simon Peter preached at Pentecost, it says that after he preached, they were cut in their hearts. 
They came under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who shows us that we need to be saved. And he is the one in our own life that lets us know when we are out of fellowship with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit in the person can be blasphemed. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, Jesus' teaching said every sin will be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit speaking against men, the Son of Man, talking about himself in the flesh, will be forgiven, but speaking against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now what's he talking about? I, I, there's, I think this is one of those passages that will have a question mark over it until we get to heaven, that we don't have a thorough understanding of everything, but the way I interpret it is that the Holy Spirit, who is the convictor of sin, if he is rejected or blasphemed and a person says, I, I don't want to receive the Holy Spirit, I don't want anybody to talk with me about the Holy Spirit, um, uh, then that rejection, the line is crossed. And, and sin cannot be forgiven. Um, I can't. I've talked about this in other churches on Sunday night. I almost want to tell David and Josh to cut the cameras off. <laughs> um, a lot of people say, well, in what you do in senior home care, that, that probably helps you. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people we have serviced here in Athens, Georgia, who said, we know your owner is a preacher, and I don't need to see a preacher. I don't want to talk to anyone. Three years ago, a lot of our people that we serve are in the UGA community. They've moved here from other parts. Um, and a lot of them, uh, honestly, we have to almost overcome that. Because a lot of them don't want to have anything to do with faith. Uh, three years ago, um, and Sherry doesn't do it as much. She would go out on every service inquiry we'd have when people wanted service. She and our director, Heather Tracy, and a uh, lady told her, said, I know your husband's a pastor. said, I'm going to ask you, don't, don't, just tell him I don't want to meet him. <laughs> and uh, she was about atheist. And uh, we had her under service for, I, I, and when I tell you this, Daniel's not here. Who else is in health care? Uh, I'm not violating HIPAA regulations by telling you this tonight uh, because we're not totally under HIPAA. Uh, I, but even in that case, I, I, I can't give names and I wouldn't share information. But uh, she was dying later on, went to her hospice house, and she called the week she was dying and asked me to come pray with her. And, and I was able to, to come pray with her. Did not lead her to Jesus. Uh, she, she, I, I started to say that to her, but she motioned no, didn't talk. 
across the years, we've had many other people who've been saved on their bed. Uh, but there, there is a line that people cross when they say, I, I don't want anything from God. And, and I, I, as I interpret that text, the Holy Spirit is the one who changes people. We don't change people when we witness. Uh, we, we don't do it. Uh, we can't sell Jesus. All we can do is be a witness of him and allow the Spirit of God as we present the gospel to change people. And folks, you and I both have seen people visibly changed when the Spirit of God, when the Lord Jesus forgave their sins and sent His Holy Spirit in their life. Now, I, I, I've seen two or three. Can Bobby, can I share a couple of illustrations tonight? Am I? Okay, thank you. And uh, I've got one more week. Tell me, tell you what you do. You tell me if you don't like it, y'all going to fire me on the 25th. <laughs> Amen. Back in 1995, uh, we had a couple getting married, living together. She was saved, brought her fiancé in our office, Dave, David Rumbo. And David, uh, uh, he didn't believe in Jesus. He was agnostic. I asked him, I said, David, can I share the gospel with you? And in his office, I shared, went through the Roman road with him, very simple gospel presentation. I said, David, I believe if you meant this from your heart, you prayed that prayer, God will save you. Would you pray that prayer with me? He bowed his head, he prayed his prayer, followed on the words. Folks, he looked up at me and said, something happened to me. <laughs> I said, you got saved, David. And he became a vibrant follower of Jesus because God saved him. Part of Henry Brent's testimony was that uh, he was partially inebriated when the gospel was shared with him. And God saved him. <laughs> Back in, okay, let's go on. I witnessed to a man drunk one time in Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> we were doing a thing called, Brother Tim, we would call Crossover Las Vegas. It, so we had the Southern Baptist Convention, 1990, in Las Vegas. I said, honey, if we're going to Southern Baptist Convention and eat that cheap casino food, we're going to witness for Jesus. And we went out early. My stepbrother lives there, and we canvassed a Mormon neighborhood, and a man opened the door. He was drunk as a skunk. And the deacon was on fire for the Lord. He said, let's share the gospel with him. We shared the gospel with him, and he prayed the sinner's prayer. Now, whether he got saved or not, I don't know. But we, we did it. And, uh, but it's so funny, when we went in, we asked him, do you want to get saved? He said, I don't get saved. And then, like Otis on the Andy Griffith show, and, and prayed. But the, the point of all that is we don't save people. God saves them. we got a missionary here that has been served many years. I know he's seen it. It is God who saves people by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. So he is the one that shows truth. And he is the one who guides us and comforts us in all life. Now, what I want to share with you, and I'm going to ask you if you would now, 
to take your Bibles and turn with me now over to Ephesians chapter 5. And I, I, I want you to, uh, I want to look with you at verses 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. I want to bring this last point to you. There is a command in God's Word that Christians are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean we can be unfilled? Well, I don't believe I lose my salvation <laughs> when I sin. I don't believe willful rebellion causes my eternal relationship with the Lord to be broken. But I do believe, folks, that there's a difference between living and walking in the Spirit of God and living away in a life that's displeasing God. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, that you walk in a way that is filled with dignity, not as fools, but as the wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Uh, this is an important word to somebody like me who loves to talk and loves to go on their own schedule. He said, understand that the time you have is important. Use it wisely. And then he goes on in verse number uh, 17, therefore do not be under un, unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. The old KGB, I, I love it. It says, which in is excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the first part of that verse tells us, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess? I think it's in you guys' church constitution. But I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And part of the church covenant is, we covenant together to abstain from the use and the sale of alcoholic beverages. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and we commit ourselves to, I can't remember the rest of it, to live a life as godly. I think it's in your constitution. It's part of... Uh, of most church covenants or most Southern Baptist churches. It says that we will not use alcohol. The principle there is, and, and I, 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 folks, I've gotten, I've gotten people mad with me over I, I, <laughs> my early days of ministry. I wouldn't marry a couple where they were going to have any alcoholic beverages at reception. I just tell them, I'll marry you, but I'm not going to come. Uh, made a bunch of people mad. I got some still mad with me over it. But uh, just now, I'm not hanging going soft on that, but I, I've got a better understanding of it that the principle is this, that there should be no substance that we should abuse and substitute for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't drink. Why don't you drink? Uh because I love what Adrian Rogers says, uh, one out of 16 people that pick up a bottle is going to become an alcoholic. You say, that's not bad. 
Well, let me ask you a question. Would you go fly to New York if they said one out of every 16 planes going to drop? And we'll give you a ticket on sale. So he, he said, don't, don't use that as a substitute for what the Lord can do in your life. Now, I, I, I believe we need medication, but probably as big in the church today as alcohol is the abuse of prescription medication. Um, because he's saying don't rely upon anything else. In other words, don't put anything else in your life that should be there uh, in place of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't rely upon that. The second part of the verse is, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The man who is my hero, going home be with the Lord, is Dr. Adrian Rogers. And what I'm going to share on the subject tonight is what he believes. Um, and Dr. Rogers used to say, boy, we would never have a preacher stand in our pulpit drunk. We'd fire him on the spot. But we would allow men to stand in the pulpit and churches to worship devoid of the Spirit of God and not say a word. Now, I, I'm going to share with you my testimony in 10 minutes. Chairman Deacon, I want you to keep a clock on me, okay? Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a, a, a very small town. Uh, not uh, My daddy was a deacon in the Baptist church there in eastern South Carolina. 800 people, Clio, South Carolina, cotton and tobacco farming. I spent part of my summers in White Plains, Georgia. <laughs> my grandfather on Highway 15, you go down below Greensboro, bear to the right, hit the convenience store going through White Plains. I spent two weeks out every summer there. I went there because it's my Uncle Aaron and, and my Aunt Gloria who's still living because my grandfather, who lived between Sparta and Milledgeville, didn't have plumbing in his house. <laughs> so when we'd go there, we'd have to go out to the uh, woodshed. <laughs> Not woodshed, but bathroom outside. And I was out. <laughs> Thank you, brother. And I'd be, Mama, I don't want to go there. And I whined so much, they'd send me up to White Plains to stay for two weeks. So my life was there, and, and I grew up in Southern Baptist Church. I, I grew up uh, a godly mom and dad who, who went to church. Unfortunately, when I was 18 years old, they had a very tragic divorce. Uh, Mama moved back here to uh, Sparta, Georgia, and my daddy stayed in South Carolina. When I was nine and a half years of age, I came and I was baptized. The pastor came to my house. Brother Milton Parker went through the gospel with me and I was baptized. As a child, I understood it, but I, I, I never knew exactly whether there was a real change. 
and when I hit about 15 years old, and I, I was in the church up till I was about 15, uh, I started doing things I, I wasn't supposed to do. Excuse me, I'm about to fall here. Uh, so my preacher being drunk. Um, and, and, and I wasn't a bad kid. I don't want to stand up here like I was a drug dealer or something. That, that wasn't my testimony. I wasn't there. But I started thinking about things that a lot of kids are thinking about today. At that time, we had uh, uh, Kent State going on. We had all those things going on. I bought in a little bit of that culture. Is everything right? And I stopped going to church when I was about 16 and my parents would go say you need to go to church and I stopped going to church and finished high school a year early <clears throat> and had really this is what I thought this is where I was I, I'd seen people as a teenager who were part of our church were deacons and they live one life outside the church and another life inside the church. And I, I said, well, you know, that's something you do. You, you go through religion, and that's just part of your life. Have a good religious life. And so when I was 17 years old, between college and, and high school, a friend of mine, Tommy Woodle, invited me to a rally in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, called Jesus 73. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you were saved between 1968 and 1973? You were, Susan? Donna? Who else? That was the last great spiritual awakening in this country called the Jesus Movement. Uh, there was another movement in 1995 that started at... Uh, uh, um, Hardin-Simmons University and spread throughout the colleges. It spread, Lindsay, to, to Southwestern Seminary. It had, for three days there, they were in prayer. But the Jesus movement was a time where God moved upon this life, the last great spiritual awakening in, in this country. And so this was right in the middle of it. I went up, and there were 20,000 young people there. A guy named Mike Warnke was a speaker. Uh, a guy named uh, Tom Skinner was a speaker. The musician that week was an African-American group called Andre Crouch and the Disciples, <laughs> who we sang tonight. In the second night, uh, Tom Skinner from Harlem, New York, preached on the Lordship of Christ. And... Uh, He made that statement that Josh McDowell has made that either Jesus was a liar or a lunatic or Lord. And you've got to decide who he is. And the people that were around me, I saw something different in their life. And the Holy Spirit that night said, you need to pray and receive me. <laughs> Talking about Jesus. And I, I, I knelt down with a Methodist pastor, Dave McClain, and God changed. God changed me. Uh, I came back to my church and they didn't recognize me. Uh, I, I literally led 33 of my friends to Christ in two months. 
I was just so on fire for Jesus. Now, part of that movement was based in the charismatic movement, the house church charismatic movement. I'm going to take just a minute. I know you know this, but I'm going to walk through with you what that means. Charismatics who go back to classic Pentecostalism in a revival that took place in a Methodist church in 1906 in Azusa Street in California began to adopt a theology, and this is a difference between what we believe and what classic Pentecostals believe. Classic Pentecostals believe that you get saved and then, in addition to salvation, you pray for a second work of grace called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so, if I'm a Christian and I've been saved, I haven't got all of God yet. I have to get that second baptism in the Holy Spirit. Where do they base it? They base it, if you want to write Acts 19, verses 1 through 7. When Paul came to the, to the disciples and said, uh, have, have you been baptized yet? And they said, <clears throat> we have been, uh, they said, we have received the baptism of John. And then they, what, they baptized them, it says they baptized them in the Holy Spirit. So they, based on that, that if, if you're a Southern Baptist, you haven't got all of God yet. You need this second work of grace in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So an 18-year-old, they told me, well, you need this baptism in the Holy Spirit. I said, well, I want all of God, so let's go after it. They prayed over me, and we did that. Now, classic Pentecostalism says that's evidenced by the gift of tongues, glossolalia. Neo-Pentecostalism says no. It's not, but you have to receive that gift. So my first six months as a follower of Christ, I spent in house churches. And you'd have these people who would come in and somebody would say, I have a word. And somebody over here would stand up and say, Lord's giving me a word. Somebody on the other side of the room would be speaking in tongues. And then they'd say, I have a word. They'd stand up. And then they start talking about the flowers and the grass and everything. Well, I was 18 years old. I said, I don't think that's what it means. Because if there's a word, uh, it's got to be specific. So I was confused. And about the time I was a student at Baptist College at Charleston, a young man had just started teaching. His name was Carlton Wimberry. Dr. Winberry um, went on to teach at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for 15 years, and he and a guy named James Brooks wrote uh, third-year syntax for, in Greek New Testament for third-year Greek students. And he was so patient and loving with us. And I, I went to him and said, Dr. Winberry, I'm struggling with this because if I really believe in this baptism in the Holy Spirit, I don't need to stay a Southern Baptist. I need to go somewhere else. And he gave me a 
a, a group of books to read, and, and he said, Danny, you need to really read the New Testament. Well, that wasn't enough for me, so three, myself and two other friends, we went <laughs> to the place that all started. In 1968, a little church in Costa Mesa, California called Calvary Chapel had a, church, a pastor named Chuck Smith. And uh, that's where what we call praise and worship started. And it was, it was the seat of the Jesus movement. So in January 1974, we bought an America Pass. I went left Bennettsville, South Carolina, rode 72 hours to Los Angeles, got another America Pass to Costa Mesa, California, and went and stayed in a Christian commune for four and a half months, four and a half weeks. There's a boy from Clio, South Carolina. <laughs> and we met Chuck Smith and talked with him. And I tell you, it was incredible. Uh, folks, we saw things that were New Testament. On Sunday afternoon, there would be 500 to 1,000 people baptized. Uh, only seen that two other times in Russia, Ukraine in 1994 and in Cuba in the house church movement. So I came out of that thinking, okay, what, what's going on here? Because the more I read that, I said, that's something doesn't ring right with me. Because if I read the Gospels, it tells me I receive all of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, when I'm saved. And secondly, it doesn't seem right to build a whole other doctrine on this belief that you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So in my second semester in college, I came back, I said, you know, I really enjoy this. <laughs> but I don't believe it's what the Bible says. I believe you receive all of Jesus whenever you're saved. And I believe you receive all the Holy Spirit whenever you're saved. And so I, I, I got to stay with that. And so my friends in the house church movement, I told them bye. And remained a Southern Baptist. Now, when I pastored my first church, <laughs> and I was a naive college student, <laughs> but Bobby, I just thought when you get out of college and you go on staff in a church, it's going to be just like that revival meeting. <laughs> People are going to be on fire. People are going to be getting saved, Brother Rip. It's going to be just like that. Guess what? <laughs> it wasn't. My first church I pastored, the Raleigh Road Baptist Church, I, I'd, I'd get a turntable out and listen to Jesus' music, just trying to get myself so I could go to church the next day. Because I said, Lord, shouldn't the church be like that? Now, leading to <laughs> I wish I had time. I, we do a series, a three-part series on 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, uh, dealing with the whole idea of sensationalism.
not sensation, it's ceasing of spiritual gifts. And, uh, and I've come to the place to believe, uh, I'll give you my summation on the unknown language, I believe if it ever happens, it has an intense purpose of happening. It's not there for sense of disruption. And it, it should be a translation of the gospel message or something like that. Um, uh, I, I don't fall in the position to say that uh, I, I don't agree because honestly I can't find it in the New Testament. I tell my friends, show it to me where it says that the Holy Spirit has just relegated his work for that day. Um, oh, there's a lot there I don't have time to talk about tonight. I don't believe that these Benny Hens, uh, there's a church now in Northern California called Bethel Church, uh, and a lot of the music that's being used today is coming out of Bethel Church. And they're saying... We've got to supposedly have the presence of God in the church. And they believe that three years ago, a little girl was resurrected from the dead. Um, and it's, if you watch it, it it's, 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 a, uh, it's a sensational type thing. That's not of God. That's not of God. Um, The Holy Spirit is there to honor the Lord Jesus, number one. The Holy Spirit will not create disruption. Uh, he is not there to disrupt the church. Um, so, I, I've got, so I came down with the position that I'm Baptist because I believe that I receive the fullness of the person of the Spirit of God when I'm saved. If I read the New Testament, I believe that. But, what should be the normal Christian life, or what Dr. Bill Bright called in Campus Crusade, the spirit-filled life, is not what we're living today. And the Spirit of God is being quenched in our church. Like it, not. We are not expecting people to be saved and changed in our worship services. We have moved in some churches to, and I, I'm just going to step on toes to where we're just living in dead traditionalism. We're in other churches where we're putting up praise teams and entertaining people. And it's being planned out master way. Folks, and I, Lindsay and I talked about it at the church because I, I, my wife has been telling me, you need to get off of it. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if you followed. Um, we've, we've got a mess the past two weeks. The man we just elected as president of the Southern Baptist Convention it was discovered he had a, a committee preparing his messages. And had plagiarized another preacher. Lifted the illustration straight out of one 
into another. Lindsay, am I telling the truth? Yeah. Yeah. And we got a mess right now over that. And what, what got us to that place is the... Uh, Is, is we're just trying to do all this stuff to impress people rather than allowing the Spirit of God to work in our midst. Now, I still believe God can send revival. I, I believe that there are enough people, and, and maybe we're just in process of all, we, we've been through all this stuff over this past year, and then all this has hit us in the past two weeks. Um, and I, I, I told Lindsay, I supported Ed. I, I, I've met him. I don't know him personally. We talked on the phone when I was in Alabama, but, but it, it's a mess. Um, but we're moving to the point uh, to where we're not depending on the Spirit of God and we're not asking God to fill us. How are you feeling? filled with the Spirit of God. I don't believe you need to pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit now. I do believe that the key to the filling of the Spirit of God and when you talk, we talk about the filling of the Spirit of God we're talking about does God have all of me is repentance confession of sin and asking him to have all of our lives surrender. And if that's not happening, uh, there's a void. Charles Spurgeon, excuse me, D.L. Moody, uh, has recorded that whenever he would preach, he would preach with on the judgment and fire of God and then... He knew something was missing in his life and prayed and prayed and prayed and came to a point to where he said, I knew that I needed to be submitted to God's Spirit in my life. Dr. Billy Graham, in the 1949 revival, when the prayer meetings occurred, and by the way, that's what happened, prayer meetings occurred. A woman named Henrietta Mears began to lead prayer, and they, and they had a prayer movement. And Dr. Graham says the Spirit of God filled him. And folks, we need the filling of the Holy Spirit in our churches today. I'm not talking about sensationalism. I'm not talking about emotional expression. I'm just simply talking about the submission of, of us to the Spirit of God. Thank you for letting me be here with you these past few weeks. You know, I, 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 several years ago, I, I said, Lord, I just want to do whatever you want me to do. And he's been good. But there's a need for us as the body of Christ and I'm not talking about as far as height. 
I'm, I'm not picking on this church. <sighs> but we're not where we need to be. But I believe God can fill us. Let, let's stay in the word. Lord Jesus, tonight, I, I as I share with these folks, I, I have so many things in my own life that I need to be brought to you. As a hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my life. Father, take our life. We ask now, Father, that uh, where there's sin in our own life, and we, we say that, the things that we have gotten hardened to in our own lives that need to be brought. And we need to ask you to forgive us and fill us with your spirit so that we might bring glory and honor to Jesus. Father, it's not about success. It's not about getting more people in the church. It's not about growing or getting reputation. Lord, it's about just getting Jesus back in our churches. And I just pray that it, tonight you'll, you'll just uh, speak to all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to... Uh, Instead of just having a personal invitation, just invite you to come to the altar if you want to pray. And we'll have a time to pray as Brother Richard leads us, and then we'll close with prayer when we finish. Let, Richard, what are we singing about? Yeah, let's sing that together.